Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. I'm a coach, a hypnotherapist, and I'm the author of The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. And this podcast is all about helping you to become your calmest, happiest, and most confident self. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have the wonderful Toral Shah on my podcast today. Toral and I are friends in real life, and so it was really nice to get to chat to her. Toral is a nutritional scientist. She's a functional medicine practitioner, and she's a food and health writer and consultant at The Urban Kitchen. We discuss topics such as her experience of overcoming breast cancer twice and what that experience has taught her. We dig into the importance of sleep and how it's like connected to everything in our lives and how COVID might have been messing up your sleep cycle. And we get into the power of food for our health and the science of food and cancer. I love Toral's approach. She shares lots of practical tools and lots of the scientific basis for the things that she's sharing as well, which I love. She also shares her bedtime routine. I love this bedtime routine. Um, if you're somebody that struggles with sleep or you know someone that does, this is really going to be worth a listen for you. So this week I am welcoming people into my new membership program which is called the Karma You Collective. It's a monthly infusion of self-care to keep you on track as you make move towards your goals. We're either going to have a cocktail hour. <laughs> so you can check it out at karmayou.com forward slash collective. The doors close on Friday the 3rd of December at 10pm because it's going to be starting very soon after that. And I'm going to be helping you to retrain your subconscious mind, helping you to achieve your goals turn the daily grind into a delight and enjoy the precious moments in between. So in the membership, you get access to hypnotherapy sessions with me each month, live workshops that you can either join live or you can watch at your own leisure. I'm going to have guest teachers and the first month we've got someone coming to give us a sound healing session, sharing circles, group support in the Facebook group and loads more. So come on over to www.karmayou.com forward slash collective, or if you get my emails, I'll be emailing about it in the coming days. So let's get into the conversation with Toral Shah. Welcome, Toral. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I am good. Thank you. Slightly missing my friends back in London and our group of girls but other than that very good we miss we miss you too we'll have to organize a morning session in UK so that it's barley time in the evening 
to yes. do some uh, fun stuff at the weekend mm-hmm. we can do that yeah yeah yeah. let's get something in the diary thank you so much for joining me on the karma you podcast today can you share a bit about what it is that you do and how did you get to where you are today so I'm a nutritional scientist and functional medicine practitioner. So I will tell you more about my journey first and explain what that means afterwards. I actually uh, read a book when I was 11 years old about a cancer surgeon and I was quite a precocious 11 year old and I decided, right, I'm going to cure cancer because that's what you do when you're 11. Like I'm going to solve the biggest problem in the world and I'll do it myself. Um, so the path was really clear for me to you know, A-levels to go to medical school. Got to medical school, thought, wow, this is not what I expected. And then halfway through, my mum was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, So this is back in 1999 and no one was talking about helping her with nutrition or lifestyle, how she could kind of get through the treatment and how she could recover and how she could you know, feel good about herself after things. And no one was really giving that kind of advice. And there wasn't that information. The doctors didn't know anything. So I started digging around in the university library and there were some studies coming out, which kind of showed that, you know, you can help yourself through nutrition and lifestyle. It's just not something that we knew enough about then, despite the research actually happening. Um, so I started to kind of give my mum all these things and on the hope that it would help her to kind of recover, support her immune system. I'm sure some of them were ridiculous. Like she, bless her, she ate such weird things for me. She had whole cloves of garlic. She had chewed on licorice sticks. She had wheat crushers. And I know now that obviously some of the evidence isn't there behind those things, but that's really what got me onto my journey. Um, just really wanting to help my mum and then thinking, hang on a second, we know that we can start to see the research is there. There's so many diseases of the kind of Western world, like chronic lifestyle disease, like diabetes, uh, heart disease, um, cancer, all of these things have got some link to nutrition and lifestyle and we can help ourselves. So why are we not learning more? I became very disillusioned because my plan was to kind of go into oncology um, at med- after medical school. But, and I realized it was such a difficult job. You have to be able to really separate yourself from your patients and despite, and be empathetic at the same time. And I think that separation for me is quite hard because I get very involved with people. And I realized it was not the right job for me. So I actually left and did some work in research for a while, had a bit of a break and went back and did a master's in nutritional medicine. And that was really the beginning of my kind of deep nutrition training um, and, and what I do now. In those days, again, everyone sort of laughed at me, what are you doing? Um, but it's a really well-respected course. And actually, uh, Rupi of you know, Dr. Skitch is doing that now. And it's really looking at how we can use nutrition as kind of not a form of medicine, but what is the science and evidence behind it? So that's what got me started. And that was about 15 years ago, uh, more than 15 years, 16 years ago. And since then, I've kind of continued my training um, and for me, in those days, there were really nutritional therapists, but there was no one really doing this kind of deep nutrition work and really bringing it back to allopathic and westernized medicine and looking at the link with the evidence. So that's where I kind of started to get a lot more involved and do a lot more learning and research and understanding, and particularly in cancer um, and breast cancer and diabetes, because that's areas I worked in. Um, and the functional medicine is something basically is like looking at the body holistically and I have got my functional medicine qualifications now but I was doing that naturally without realizing and then I found out about functional medicine like oh my god this is a group of people this is a you know a institute that I really truly get their values and I align with them so that's kind of what I do so what I actually do as a person is I see patients using nutrition and functional medicine so that's looking at the body holistically looking at nutrition and diet sleep 
because it's so important, exercise and movement, stress relief and mental health, and also kind of our social health and our having our community and whether we've got enough support. And so I help people optimize their health because all of these areas have impact on our you know, health every day. Um, and we look at diet. I also help consult with lots of brands and help write their science content and their nutrition content and do lots of projects with them. And then the rest of my third of my time is about public health. I'm really passionate about um, health inequalities and um, educating people about cancer, particularly BAME groups who don't maybe have as much cancer awareness. So that's where part of my work goes where I'm doing a lot of public speaking, kind of just helping people understand what they can do if they have cancer or if they want to prevent cancer or what they need to look out for or where the inequalities are within our healthcare system. So, yeah. So, so interesting, such an interesting job, my gosh. And I just wanna clarify that you're not one of these types that's like, drink this green juice and you'll cure your cancer. <laughs> you're really coming from a kind of grounded and scientific position, aren't you? Absolutely. I mean, I, a cream juice not always tastes good. But yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say that probably because because a lot of things used to make juices or like Nutribullets, it shears all the fiber. And that actually means that some of the fiber, which we need for our beneficial bacteria, which is why we'd want to eat these or drink these things, we don't, we're not getting all the nutrients that our body needs. So no, I'm definitely not a green juice person. I'm more about like, let's look at the evidence. Let's help people shift things slowly. Let's look at adding things into the diet rather than taking things out. Let's approach this in a personalized way, but using evidence-based science and looking at what there is. And obviously some things have got more evidence than others. And some things you have to use your gut instinct intuition and look at the person individually. But basically, if you're trying to prescribe supplements for the sake of it, um, because it, you, you, know, you want to make money or because you think it'll work, I think we need to go back to basics from a whole food, plant-based approach first, and then everything else. Let's get the basics right. Let's get the sleep right. Let's get people moving. Let's get people feeling supported. Let's make tweaks to the diet. Let's get them eating enough fruit and vegetables, because most people in the UK don't even eat enough fruit and vegetables. So the government recommend five portions, yet... And most people don't reach that. We don't eat enough fiber. So let's start with the basics. And for some people, the basics are going to be enough. That's going to be hard enough on its own to get those five, six, seven portions of fruit and vegetable a day. I like that idea of tweaking it. You know, we don't need to overhaul necessarily or, you know, do everything completely differently. Tweaking sounds nice, manageable easy well, I think it has to be sustainable like if you look yeah. at the World Health Organization definition of health you know we're looking for full physical mental and social health and not merely the absence of disease but it has to be sustainable because if you can only sustain it for a couple of weeks like a diet like that you, you strip everything out and you know on these like January diets then that's not sustainable you need to be able to like slowly change things so you can build things into your day-to-day -day life and maintain those for the rest of your life essentially yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I was curious when you, when you were talking about working with people one-on-one -on -one, um, patients, have things changed in terms of the issues that you're seeing people for since COVID in terms of people like not sleeping as well now or coming to you for certain, certain things more than, more than ever? 
what I've actually seen change is that more people are willing to work with someone like me. What they've realised is, as wonderful as NHS is, it can only really help with acute problems or if you have a disease. It can't help you with optimising your health or some of the other things because we just don't have the money in the NHS budget or the, you know, the staff. So I definitely see a lot more people who have realised with COVID that if they don't take responsibility for their health, no one else is really going to do that. And then they may have some sort of concern or disease that they may have been dealing with. And I think everyone has realized that, you know, we all need to look after our gut health and our immune health um, because we're then otherwise we're more likely to you know, catch COVID and have you know, poor outcomes. So, you know, I think people are just realizing that they need to take a little bit more responsibility. And I think the problem is that in the UK is we've always had, well, not always, since World War II, we've had free healthcare. So we have a generation of people, maybe our parents age, who kind of not really, they've done what they've done, but they expect the NHS to kind of fix things, but actually not had necessarily taken um, responsibility. And I think it's more the younger generation that see that, you know, actually we need to start taking responsibility. So I have a lot of people between, I would say, 35 and 50, it's had the sudden realisation that they need to be looking after their health and be really proactive about it. And also I think everyone's reading a lot more. There's so much more information out there. They realise that it's not about having the perfect diet and like your size and stuff, but really about your body working well, your immune system working well, your feeling full of energy. Like one of my patients, he didn't say there was nothing wrong, but he just didn't realise that what he was eating made him feel quite tired. Um, and now he's, you know, he did lose some weight, but not on purpose. That wasn't our goal at all. The goal was to, for him to have a lot more energy and um, to be able to run around with his kids because he's got small kids, but he was a bit older. And so things like that, I think it's about looking at the end goals which relate to their family and their friends and what they want to be doing. If you're focusing on kind of arbitrary goals like weight loss, I think it makes it really hard. But if you're saying, I want to be able to run around as a 50-year-old with my two-year-old son, then that becomes a lot more real. That's interesting, isn't it, about what motivates us to, to change things. I remember when I was working as a hypnotherapist with people wanting to stop smoking, I remember reading some science that the best thing to get someone to stop smoking is for a doctor to tell you you're going to die of heart disease if you carry on smoking. Like that's a very negative, like strong message. But I was finding when I was working with people, actually, if you can you know, link it to something really positive. So I had a client once who wanted to you know, live long enough to cycle, do this um, cycle ride through Brighton, I can't remember what it's called, um, some famous cycle ride. He wanted to do that with his grandchild one day and he wanted to be alive and he wanted to not smoke so that he could, you know, live that long. And that was such a positive image, a bit like that kind of running around with your kids. You know, if we can hold on to those positive images, maybe it's a bit nicer than a kind of an away from goal, like away from, oh, I don't want to catch COVID or I don't want to die from this or that. You know, we, we're both friends with Sheru, but like it's a, those positive messages that will help behavior change. If we're telling people not to do things, it's actually quite hard because you just feel really bad about yourself. So what can we add in? My whole thing is what can we add in rather than what can we take away? How can we make people feel, you know, positive and, and good about their changes? And I think then we'll make them able to make a difference. Also, like there are one or two patients that you have to be really strong and strict with them. But on the whole, like it's that carrot and stick approach I'm definitely more of a carrot person myself so I use that carrot approach with my patients too mm, yeah yeah I wonder if the carrot is like more of a long-term thing and the stick like might work for like a week but then it's going to stop working pretty soon yeah 
Yeah. Um, I wanted to, to take this in a bit more of a kind of personal direction and just know from you, like, how, how are you? How have the last few months been for you? Um, how have you been handling all the, all the happenings of COVID in <laughs> 2020? 2020 has been a very weird year. I would say that I think I found the first part of lockdown incredibly hard, partly because I wasn't prepared. I was actually in Mexico <laughs> and I arrived back the day before lockdown started. So I didn't know. And I have, I, I mean, luckily I, I always have loads of food in my fridge and my freezer and like, I just feel like, you know, my cupboards are full of toilet roll, but from a mental health perspective, I had no idea what it was gonna be like. And also that was gonna go on for so long. So the first two weeks I was a little bit like, great, I can relax. I can just kind of get on with being jet lagged and it's fine. And then after I really started to miss, you know, human contact. I live alone, I work for myself. So whilst I was speaking to people for work um, and obviously speaking to friends, I think it was really difficult not see people. This is in the early days when we were literally allowed out of the house for maximum an hour a day. So it was really hard. When I was I walked with people and I really missed that physical contact. Also, I genuinely missed that. Gen- actual physical contact like I'm a really tactile person my language of love is definitely like signs of physical affection and like words you know words of affection so for me that's been it was it has been really tough and I think kind of learning to see what it was as missing and you know it you, you know you do feel lonely because you miss the experiences that you can share with people I know we started to do a lot more online but I really miss that like feeling people's energy and that kind of interaction and giving people hugs and and things like that and then also that screen time that increased screen time through my sleep honestly like it was so hard and I know all this <laughs> and what I should be doing but if you actually wanted to interact with people and actually um, talk to them and enjoy some time then you end up doing everything by screen and virtually I mean there were some nice old-fashioned phone calls which I absolutely love but a lot of the time it was on like you know zoom and the house party and all these like weird things and I you know luckily this time around there's no house party thank god because it was too much for me um and like you know the zoom gatherings have really cut down where you're loads of people on all these zooms and your eyes are darting about and it was just really hard to focus now it's definitely more one-to-one and you're allowed to go for walks with people. So for me, one of the great things about lockdown too is I've been going for long walks with people or long walks with people while I'm on the phone, um, you know, and that's been really good. Just kind of picking up some of those relationships where you may not have had time to have those long phone calls. I think from a mental health perspective, I think I know I really suffered and it's been trying to make up, like work out what I can do within, you know, the lockdown rules that will make me feel better. And I think this time around, I feel like I've got a better balance. Obviously things are a little bit more open too. So, um, but yeah, it's been a really difficult year. And then trying to juggle like um, my health and like, we'll talk about this more, but I've had breast cancer twice. And like, you know, when your like hospital appointments all being moved around and they're not doing your normal scans, it is frustrating. It does make you have a little bit of anxiety and, um, that's been tough. And I think there's lots of people in a much worse situation than me. All I can say is I'm so grateful for having a beautiful home and living in a neighborhood that's really vibrant and where all the food stuff is open. <laughs> so I love food. Um, and having good friends and, you know, be able to interact with them. And, and that's been really important to me. And I think we are all going to leave this year, hopefully, having understood what's truly important to us. For me, my friends and family are so important, spending quality time and travel is so important and learning about other cultures. I'm not really interested in things, material things. I haven't been for a very, very long time, but 
those things are things that didn't matter how much money I had, we couldn't do anything about them. If you're in lockdown, you're in lockdown. Yeah, it's amazing when you when you said, yeah, we were only allowed out for an hour a day. I feel like I'd kind of forgotten that period of time, like mm. blanked out a little bit. It was very, very interesting times. And yeah, I'm glad that you've learned a little bit from the first lockdown. It's a little bit easier and people can go for walks and things, but it's definitely, definitely a strange time. You touched a little bit there on your own health, you know, experiences and your journey with that. Could you could you share a bit about that? So in our family, we definitely have some sort of familial risk for breast cancer. My mum's had breast cancer, my aunt's had breast cancer, and about 10 of my mum's cousins have had, first cousins have had breast cancer. Now we have been tested, we don't have any of the BRCA1 or 2 genes, or any of the newer genes, but at the end of my master's, when I was only 29, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, a very um, kind of early form. Um, it was... It was what they would call like a postmenopausal form and really slow growing. And most young women get really aggressive, fast growing cancer. So maybe I was doing something really right already with the nutrition and the and the diet and the training. I was training for triathlon, then, so I was really lean and you know eating really well because I was obviously training um, as well. And yeah, you know, had done the masters in nutritional medicine, so I knew what to eat. But yeah, I still you know, am predisposed to breast cancer. So I had a mastectomy at age twenty nine, which was really hard. But actually. I was back in the gym after two and a half weeks and I had, did a triathlon through my kind of surgeries and treatment, which was slightly crazy and I don't recommend mm. it. So my first experience of breast cancer was kind of bizarre. I think it was more the psychological impact of losing a breast and the idea of it. And then I kind of bounced back and actually it's been my life's work to educate people more about breast cancer and fundraise and all of those. And there are things I was doing anyway after my mom and my aunt had breast cancer, but to a whole new level. Sadly, I had a reoccurrence in 2018 and that was, and I can really see like, and I'm not going to blame myself, but I can see where the things I maybe had was so busy focusing on looking after other people's health that maybe I'd stopped focusing on my own health. And I can really see that this year, that's been such a big journey for me, like to really start looking after my own health again too. Um, it's been obviously hugely challenging because you know, the gym's been shut. We haven't been able to see our friends. You know, sleep's been screwed up because, you know, we're always on screens. But the fact that I'm really kind of focusing, like I really try to focus on my sleep. And even if I don't do other things, I will try and make sure that I have good quality sleep. And, and I really work on that in lots of ways. But yeah, so breast cancer is part of my life. It's I do work with lots of breast cancer patients. I'm trying to put together a PhD proposal to look at the um, impact of stress and diet and lifestyle on estrogen positive breast cancer. So that's obviously I'm slightly on pause with COVID, but um, definitely putting some ideas together. But it's, it is something that I'm gonna to have to work through and live through um, for the rest of my life and keep an eye on because I had it so young, the chance of it coming back are, are quite high. It's, I mean, it was quite unusual because most people, if they're gonna get a recurrence, get it in five years. And I had 12 and a half years, so I was cancer free. So what kind of prompted that slight change? Um, and I'm looking into that because I had some black mold in my bedroom. And some of the studies are now showing that mold can increase inflammation in your body. So potentially that could switch on dormant genes. So I think it's, Look, I'm not going to blame myself. It's just one of those things. At the same time, I think there's so much interesting research and I kind of sometimes always use myself as a guinea pig to like find out what there is. And it, and I think I have a whole understand, a different understanding to helping people because I've been through it myself and I, I truly understand and I can empathize and I can ask those questions without just sitting on the other side. 
that being said, it's still always evidence-based and what the research shows and you know where we've seen results rather than just being a bit airy-fairy with it and other people and with myself too. Such an amazing story. And um, I wondered if you could share a bit about the science. I love the science, the sciencey bit um, around sciencey food bit. and cancer and what kind of evidence there is that the two could be, yeah, somehow. Yeah, so connected. I think what, what we do know is that um, about a third of cancers potentially could be preventable with um, through nutrition and lifestyle. But that also includes smoking, alcohol, all sorts of things. But we do know with World Cancer Research Fund, who do a lot of the studies in uh, impact of food and nutrition on cancer and cancer risk and cancer kind of risk reduction, we know that it's got a massive impact. But some of the things, um, if we talk about breast cancer, they are probably a little bit more um, there is a lot of evidence to show, but it's things that we maybe already all know, but maybe we don't action necessarily. So there are a load of myths, I think. So for example, one of the common myths is dairy and cancer. Like, you know, eating lots of dairy causes breast cancer, but actually that's not true because of the growth hormones. But the evidence actually doesn't show that. In fact, the evidence shows that eating small amounts of dairy is actually mildly protective of breast cancer. But um, things like one of the basics is just, again, eating a wide variety of brightly colored fruit and vegetables. A, because we get all these different amazing phytochemicals from all these different colors of the fruit and vegetables, but we get the fiber and the fiber we know is really important for our beneficial bacteria in our gut. Um, and we can't actually digest this fiber, but our gut can and make all these amusing molecules. And part of that is things like training the immune system. A lot of our immune system is based in our gut. So it's about kind of getting it to work and understand and kind of recognize cells which are growing out of control maybe so that's one part of it i think it's understanding how important things like um eating oily fish and having a mediterranean soft style diet is so important again not just in fruits and vegetables but whole grains legumes beans you know herbs spices sometimes we forget how important all of those things are and all the evidence shows that this mediterranean or even mediterranean asian style diet because lots of asian cultures have obviously this kind of diet too but eaten in a slightly different way is so important um to protecting us from all sorts of these not not, not just cancer or breast cancer um and i think what we are starting to understand is from these long, big, large-scale epidemiological studies is that there are certain things that can kind of increase our risk maybe a little bit more. That doesn't mean we're going to get cancer. It's just that obviously if we've got a genetic kind of element plus, we add these things all together. So we know smoking is not it's not good for us, full stop. But with breast cancer in particular, drinking any alcohol seems to increase the risk. So it's really trying to understand kind of the evidence and science and then be able to give practical solutions. So again, we know that obesity is uh, increasing the risk of 13 different cancers. So whilst there's all these things going on about sugar, oh, sugar causes cancer, it's not the sugar directly that causes cancer. Although there are some new studies to look at, maybe there's a metabolic health impact of cancer, but it's because if we're more you know, larger, we're more overweight or obese, because we've eaten lots of sugar, um, kind of nutrient poor, but calorie dense foods, that can increase our risk of some cancer. So it's all of these things that we need to start looking at in a different way and making sure, and then exercise, we know that just being active, we're not being active just to look good, we're being active for our mental health, our brain health, to, you know, for our metabolic health, to reduce our risk of disease. So there's all these different elements. And I think things like, there's so, we could go into so much detail, but I'm not gonna do that, but because this podcast is all about that. But I think 
but there is lots of evidence to show that there are different foods that we can help support ourselves with. But the main thing is to have a large diversity of plant-based foods. And that doesn't mean you have to be vegan or it doesn't have to be any kind, but just everybody could do with eating more plant-based foods. And that's not eating a weird impossible burger with like loads of weird ingredients. It's actually eating whole foods based plants. So like eating more like legumes or vegetables. And I think things, the practical suggestions I make are things like get a veg box because we all eat are guilty of eating the same vegetables over and over. When you get a veg box, you kind of have to eat what's in the vegetable box unless you throw it away, which is really wasteful and bad for the environment. So all of these things that we kind of need to help people, remind people to look at, it's almost like the peasant diet Diet. it's what our, probably our grandparents would have eaten you know kind of sort of that kind of thing when we didn't have as much kind of processed food and kind of this ultra and reducing this ultra processed food because we know that's if you know not good for any kind of disease mm. I love it because you just described it in a really simple way and it's, it's almost as though it's like there isn't anything so special that we can't all kind of access that it's not like you have to have turmeric gummies or something. I was talking to Rupi about this. You don't have to have the turmeric gummies or anything weird. It can just, it literally is like, eat your vegetables <laughs> and yeah. have the whole grains and the, the different fiber rich foods. And it doesn't need to be too- Expensive either. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes people would conflate that with like, oh, having these supplements and doing this and do this. I'm like, no, let's start with the basics. <laughs> when people come to me and I'm like, you're not even eating enough fruit and vegetables. And actually I find that a lot of people are in their 50s, but they're on that weird 80s diet, which is all low fat and weird like rice cakes and stuff. And like, they just don't eat enough fruit and vegetables. And it's really interesting that, that there's a whole cohort of people who eat in this kind of, I want to call it Rosemary Connolly kind of <laughs> like, hip and thigh diet way but it's you know and I'm not putting blame it on all her but like that weird 80s diet was all became low fat and it was okay to have like you know carbs and like but like processed carbs and everything became very processed whereas let's just say if you're gonna have a yogurt just have a proper yogurt without loads of rubbish in it you know stuff like that so again like we haven't been eating the fermented foods you know we had a whole generation that didn't eat any fermented foods and like you know went off around killing all bacteria with antibacterial and we have to we need all those good bacteria so yeah yeah, down with the 0% fat cottage cheese and Ravita. <laughs> and it tastes disgusting. Yeah. Really, like, you know, let's eat things that taste good. And, like, you know, you're better off having a couple of eggs with loads of vegetables or, you know, having, like, a really nice big, like, plate of roast vegetables and whole grains and loads of herbs and stuff like that. I think, and I think also we, we need to teach people how to cook. People have forgotten or not learned. And I think that's where it's all gone a bit wrong. Like we're all very light on, you know, processed food. And I think there are lots of people I know who are still working from home. They've been very lucky and, you know, not been affected kind of financially with, with the issues at the moment. But um, the, if you ask them, the amount of meals they eat outside of the home or from food that's not home, they'll pick up a coffee and maybe a croissant in the morning. They'll have some, a sandwich or something from Pret in at lunchtime. And they're saving so much money, but also in some ways they're like, you know, having to really think about what they eat and realize how much they were spending on because maybe some of this food that wasn't actually that good for them. When you, when you were describing different healthy foods, then I was starting to feel very hungry, very hungry. <laughs> and I was remembering, um, I've been lucky enough to sample your cooking on many an occasion. And what I really admire, one of the many things I admire about you is just your kind of love and passion for food and the way 
you just seem, I don't know, like you create this magic in the cook kitchen and it all seems really easy. And I, yeah, you're my, you're my cooking inspiration basically. Thank you so it. much. I love cooking for you guys. It's so fun. I, I think that's what I've missed this year. It's like having my friends over for dinner. Like that's not been allowed at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully it's going to return very soon. And I look forward to the day that I get to eat with you very soon. Yay. I was really wanting to know from you, you mentioned sleep and you mentioned, you kind of touched on, oh, I do all these things, help myself to sleep. And I'd love you to share what are the things that you do for yourself to take care of yourself, your mental health? Do you have any kind of different routines or yeah, can you, can you tell us about that? So I do have routine. So first thing I do when I wake up is I do at least seven to 10 minutes of breath work. Um, I use an app, Eddie Stern, and it's really simple. Uh, it's just about breathing in, breathing out, but to a time. So, and then I do some meditation and I do that every morning. And last week for the first time in ages, I missed a couple of days because I woke up late and I had to go somewhere. And <laughs> it was like, the whole day, just I just felt quite grotty. So those things, just having those 20 minutes in the morning to myself where I get to clear my head has made such a difference. That's something I've really put in practice over the last, I would say three, maybe three and a half years. Um, and sometimes when you go on holiday or you're sharing a room and so on, you know, it's quite hard, but on the whole, I'm by myself. So it's something I can do every day. What I normally do, but obviously this year has been quite hard. So the next thing I would do after that is I would go to the gym. But at the moment, obviously this year, I find it really hard to exercise at home. It's been, I just don't have enough space and the equipment and, you know, just for the fact that I have, I have an open plan, living room, dining room, kitchen, office, and working out is and too much. <laughs> then on top of everything else, eating, living, socializing. So I found that quite hard, but I, you know, I'm still trying to do some sort of movement. And actually what I've done is I've transitioned to a uh, standing desk, which I'm standing at now. And I'm standing on a balance board. So I'm slowly like, you know, using my core, which is quite good. And then for sleep, um, I think, the, and I'll talk about the middle bit in a minute, but the sleep hygiene for me is so important. I have a really kind of strict bedtime routine and I make it very similar like very much the same each day in the same sort of times. So first thing is timing. Try and keep it at the same time that you wake up and go to bed every day. In the evenings, especially now we're on screen so much more, I'm using blue light blocking glasses. I would show you them, but I don't have them here. Um, and so from about 8 p.m. And I'm also making sure I dim all the lights in my house. So I don't have all the lights on. I just kind of dim the lights so we can slowly um, increase our melatonin production. So sunlight and light and you know all these bright lights and blue light from the screens particularly, um, basically stops us making melatonin, which is our sleep hormone, which we need to feel sleepy and then fall asleep. So that's why a lot of people have had disturbed sleep through this COVID period because we're all inside and actually, um, getting out into daylight first thing in the morning so one of the other things I do in the morning is to go out for a walk um, if it's not raining um, and that's really important for us resetting your circadian clock and for your body to know that and it's important for all sorts of other reasons too like our body needs daylight daylight uh, and that even if it's cloudy it's much more important for our kind of our brain um, and our circadian rhythms than like in the internal kind of light that we have especially with all these led lights and things um, yeah, so for my sleep routines, I dim the lights, I'm using my blue light glasses, and then I do something non-screen related for the last hour before I go upstairs. And then I literally have this ridiculously, I do exactly the same thing every single day. I have a shower, I moisturize, I take my sleep supplements. So I take uh, a sleep nootropic and I 
at the moment I'm taking antihistamine um and then I have a gratitude journal by my bed and I write at least five things that I'm grateful for for the day then I will read a little bit and then go to bed and if I'm struggling then I'll just do some breathing um and normally that gets me off and I get a good quality night's sleep. The other thing I've been looking at is um, not being too hot. So I'm a woman of a certain age where I'm getting a little bit older. Sometimes I get a little bit hot. So you know, until even about a few weeks ago, I was sleeping with a fan because keeping the body, to, you know, the temperature in the room around 18 degrees is really important for you to sleep well at night. So that's why when you're traveling and it's really hot, it's hard to sleep. So I'm really conscious about that too. Like I've realized I put my winter duvet on and actually now I'm getting a bit hot last night. So just all those small things are super important. And those are part of my routine. From a kind of everything else, exercise and movement, normally I'm really good with exercise and movement. And um, this year has been a little bit challenging, but I've been doing a bit more exercise snacking uh, and walking. So I'm always trying to make sure I walk at least 10,000 steps minimum a day. Um, and then I will do it, even if I can't do a whole workout. So before I spoke to you, I did a 15 minute spin kind of a spin clock well, on my bike. So just to do something, and then I'll maybe probably do 10 minutes somewhere else and 10 minutes you know, a bit later on. So even if you build it up that way, that's also good. Because sometimes you don't have a full 45 minutes or an hour in the morning to do something. So exercise snacking. Food-wise, I try and prepare, um, like, I don't prepare batch cooking meals unless I'm putting them in the freezer and stuff like making chili and bolognese and stuff like that. But what I do do is I, twice a week, I'll roast up loads of vegetables and prepare loads of vegetables so that it's easy. All I have to do is go to the fridge and get the vegetables and then assemble them into something. Or I have some ideas, you know, of bits and pieces. Yesterday that went completely out of plan and I was like, oh, what have I got in the fridge? And I have this amazing tofu and um, mushrooms and like Ching Hung, who's a really good Chinese chef. I picked up one of her books and I you know, actually made something her Kung Pao mushrooms, it was so good. But I think if you have an idea of what you're gonna eat, then you're not gonna just go for toast or like whatever biscuits or whatever it is. So I think it, it's about planning that and having something tasty to look forward to. And now, even now I'm thinking about that dinner, I'm like salivating it. Cause it was really nutritious, but it was so tasty. And I and I didn't you know, expect it to be as tasty as it was. So um, it's about being a little bit prepared and then stress relief, uh, mental health. I know what things will stress me out. So there's certain people that I've tried to be very careful with how much interaction I've had. And like, you know, sometimes I have to switch my phone off completely. Um, but also like trying to have at least one good conversation with someone I really care about every day, like a long, decent conversation. And that's you know, kind of taking care of my kind of social health while we're in lockdown. Um, and not just WhatsApping people, like really having, asking people how they really are, not just how are you. I kind of almost asked that question twice, like, how are you? Like, you know, just to really understand them. Um, and then like knowing that, you know what, none of this stuff is life or death. And if I don't get it done, like obviously there's some deadlines, but sometimes just can't do everything. I had loads of things the last few weeks, which I haven't done, which I really wanted to do articles I wanted to write. And I just thought, I haven't done them, but I've done loads of other things instead. So it's about just being able to let go a bit and like in, in the grand scheme of things I am very grateful and having that real gratitude practice and that base has actually transformed my life I'm gonna say genuinely has and I you know whatever bad stuff's happening to me I still come from such space I have really good friends I have a really good family like an amazing family I have a beautiful home I love my work I love it so much so even though we've been stuck at home at least I've been busy doing something I love um and yeah, and the opportunities to travel and do all the other things will come when the world's open again. Thank you for sharing that. I loved hearing about your your bedtime routine. I love it. I love hearing about yeah people, people's 
routines in that way. So thanks for sharing that. And I'm also wondering if people might be curious about what a nootropic is. Could you explain So nootropic, yeah, sure. It's it, it's just a supplement that um, helps your, essentially your neurons in your brain. Um, I use one called by Emotion Nutrition and it has some really good evidence. And actually my, my good friend, Miguel, actually worked with him to make it and he's a neuroscientist. So obviously I trust it more than others. Um, but really it's got a few things. Like it's got a few adaptogens. It's got... Um, we're often all very low in magnesium and we use up a lot more magnesium when we're feeling stressed. So it includes things like that. It includes, a, you know, a bit of cherry extract, which helps us the, uh, to master make melatonin. So it's, it's actually a blend of different things, but we are, we're a highly stressed society and we need to be looking after our brain health. And I think one thing we've neglected, and I think that's going to be the new trend, I think, going forward is brain health, like exercise to help our brain health, um, supplements of food to help our brain health. And my dad's just been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And I'm really, I mean, you know, kind of obviously, just as I did with my mom and her breast cancer, I have really been delving in what I can help do to help my dad. And from the functional medicine practice, there's so many interesting things. And, you know, one of the things that we have him doing, we and we've seen a neurodegenerative specialist who works in functional medicine too um obviously that's his own expertise and not mine but you know things that like we've shifted our my dad's diet so he's having a lot more of an omega-3 rich diet with you know which is you know lots of good fats um he's having a lot less carbs he's having more protein he's trying to reduce his sugar he's you know all of those things to help all the things for the brain to regenerate so and uh, not to regenerate because obviously it won't but like to kind of prevent it to slow it down as much as possible. Um, and also one of the things my, you know, my dad, for my dad is like the sleep, his sleep was really poor because he's an older man and they have prostate issues and he was waking up to go to wee, you know, four or five times. And now he's reduced it to about two and he's having sleep nootropics and he's doing all these routine, going to bed earlier. They're really cutting down on you know, what he's eating at nighttime and sugar and stuff. And it's, he's sleeping better and that's hopefully making a difference to his brain health because actually at nighttime, when we have good quality sleep, that's when we have, our brain is essentially cleaned up. There's like little molecules, which are like hoovers, which kind of clean up all the crap in our brain. And that's when we can have good brain health. So I think sleep is so important. I think we've neglected it for so many years. I think it's Margaret Thatcher. She said that she only slept four hours a day, a night rather. And I think, you know, this is a problem. We've, we've kind of to sleep, oh, you can sleep when you're dead and all those kind of phrases. Like, no, sleep is so important. So, you know, if I, if I can't sleep at night, which happens to me because I've got a very busy brain, um, also I'm just a real night out then I will just sleep in the morning and I don't worry about it and I know I try and arrange my schedule and I even said to her by the way I did say to Chloe that I'm not great first thing in the morning can we record this slightly later in the morning and thank you very much for that but because I know that for me I have to like look after my sleep if I'm going to be well then I have to look after my sleep I have to protect it against everything else yeah, I hope this is a good reminder to people listening to take care of their sleep. And yeah, I know from what I've heard, people talk about that COVID has messed with people's sleep, whether that is the added anxiety, whether it's, as you say, the screen time, being out of our routines, less active, all those things could be having an impact. So it's good to... to try some different well, techniques definitely exercising less and doing less intense exercise because i'm still mm -hmm. moving and walking and dancing and stuff has definitely meant i'm not quite as tired but as soon as i went back to the gym when we were allowed in july suddenly my sleep was brilliant a we were eight out of seeing people but b i was in the gym getting physically tired as well as mentally tired so that made a huge difference so i think modern life is 
so based on us being sedentary and it's so not good for us. I mean, being sedentary is the new smoking, isn't it? So for me, like, I'm really happy. Like, I guess, you know, when I've been working at my desk, you know, I'm able to do a good six or seven hours now standing. And I don't really think about it or get tired. Um, and I think we need, all need to start kind of thinking about it that way because sitting, what we, we, especially if you, you know, I live in central London, so I walk to a lot of places, but a lot of people who live in suburbs, they will drive to places. So because everything's far. So then their day is so sedentary. I'm um, doing another coaching training and it's done by some Americans. And so we do it at 7 a.m. in the morning in Bali here. And this morning was the first day and he said, I want everyone to stand up for this training. And I was like, no, <laughs> not doing it. But now, now you've said that, I'm gonna have to, tomorrow I'll be standing up. I'll be standing Good. up, you've inspired Yay. me. Yay. Standing's fun. Like you can do a little bit of a dance sometimes and a jiggle. Also, I, I mean, you're very tall. I'm quite sure this standing up has made me feel very tall suddenly. <laughs> it's probably because I'm just higher up on the wall. And so psychologically for me, it probably is different for you because you are tall. But like for me, I'm like, wow, this is really interesting. I wonder what people are like. Because some people sitting down are probably the same height as me. <laughs> wow. It's interesting, yeah. Um, my last question for you is what is most important to you right now? I think my health and my family's health because it's something that you you just can't get back once it goes. Um, you can work on it and you can optimize it. And I think it's, you know, when I think about my dad, I mean, like, obviously we didn't know anything before. We're not able to reverse this Parkinson's disease. I mean, we can slow it down. So for me, absolutely the health of my family. And that's partly because my parents are like in their 70s now and I'm really thinking about it and my own health too. Um, and health is wealth. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, such a good reminder. I think um, that's definitely one of the messages that I'm taking away from this conversation that we love the NHS, but we have to to take action ourselves to really take care of ourselves especially now um where can people find out what you're up to more about you how can they work with you can you share all those details so i'm on instagram it's probably my biggest platform um the one i'm most active on it's um, at the urban kitchen i'm on twitter the urban kitchen i've got my own website www.theurbankitchen and you can contact me to see me and like facebook and then i also have another brand called what the health where uh clary kindly spoke a year and a half ago um with my friend amy abrahams and we do lots of um health events but we take a real 360 degree approach to health um, and we look at physical mental and social health and all our events about us so how can we make a sustainable health choice of what can we do around that and each topic each event has a particular topic so that's at what the health events on instagram so come and have a find us there brilliant yes and having spoken at your events and also attended i attended was it sex and relationships that one where me and Sheru were we got the giggles basically we got the giggles <laughs> <laughs> it was very funny sex and relationship because I was, we talked a lot about sex and I mean I think that's the theme of now some of our phone calls but that's a whole other conversation but yeah it's uh, it's so true and we normally in our real life events um, as Chloe knows we feed people but unfortunately now we can't feed people but we're gonna give you a recipe and the ingredients to cook it for yourself this time instead oh so, cool yeah, brilliant it's gonna be very exciting yeah awesome thank you so much for everything you've shared I can't wait for people to hear it Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to, to work with you and talk to you professionally and not just have a laugh on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. 
You have been listening to the Karma You podcast with me, Chloe Brotheridge. Don't forget you can download loads of freebies for anxiety and confidence at my website, karmayou.com. You can also find out about my app and my one-on-one sessions. Please do subscribe to this podcast in the Apple Podcast app. And if you have enjoyed it or found it helpful, please leave me a review. It makes a massive difference to helping the podcast get discovered by other people. And come on over and find me on Instagram. I'm hanging out there every day. You can find me at Chloe Brotheridge. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please do share it with anyone who might need to hear this today. So I'm sending you loads of love and I hope you have a brilliant week ahead. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.